0: Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, familiar text. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Father, help me to deliver what you have placed on my soul to share with this congregation this morning, hinder any thought that I might have that is originated in me from coming forth, and let those thoughts that have been born in meditation with you, Lord, and from the truth of your word come forth and be presented to this body of people, we pray in in Jesus' name. I want to preach to you on the thought this morning, three most important things to God in our life. Picture for me, if you will, this morning, a mother with a small child, two years old or so, who's just gotten word from her husband, who's taken a new job, that his boss and the boss's wife is coming over for dinner, very little time to prepare it's about mid-afternoon, about noon or so, and uh, so she immediately starts scurrying around, find her tablecloth, get it on, get the dishes out that she needs, get the meal prepared. But the 2-year-old is doing what a 2-year-old do- does. He's tugging at her dress and as she's trying to put the food in the oven and bring it out and she's got something hot that needs to come out and he's tugging at her dress and she moves him over and uh, 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 so she can get something hot out without it spilling on him. And he comes back and finally she speaks harshly at him and then he doesn't understand why, so he starts crying and she's just cleaned the house up and getting it spotless for uh, the company and he's bringing every toy in the house out and she's just washed the tablecloth and put it on and he's got the ketchup out and spilled it on the tablecloth already. And, you know, you, you can kind of get the, the picture of, uh, of what's going on here, um, there's, there's two entirely different sets of priorities that are being exercised. She is all focused and has one set of priorities, but this two-year-old child has an entirely different set of priorities that he is acting on. Now, I've come to realize that like this little child, often in my Christian walk, I'm at cross purposes with the Lord. I've got a set of priorities that I'm working on and the set of priorities that He's working on, not only in my life, but in Christianity in in general, are just two entirely different things. And the result of that is confusion and frustration and things going on not only in my life, but things going on around me that, uh, that don't make sense. Things that I... Pray earnestly for and fervently for don't happen, and little things that I hardly whisper a prayer for do happen, and I see things going on in life. We mentioned the bus accident this morning. I'm sure that they had prayer for safety before those children went off to this retreat and came back. And, you know, things just happen, and, and, and we don't understand them, and we don't have answers. And, you know, there are just a lot of things. And it just seems like there there are different levels of priority that are going on in the kingdom that just sometimes don't make sense. And so I sat down and began to take a look in the Scripture to rediscover God's priority. And I found that they were quite different from the priorities that I was pursuing. In fact, the priorities that a lot of people and Christianity in general was pursuing, and so I tried to categorize them, and I put them in three basic things this morning. It could have been categorized differently and uh, more broadly or narrowly, and, uh, you know, you could do it a number of different ways, but this is the way I did it, and I think any way that you would categorize them, these three basic elements or three, three basic priorities, are going to be found there, and the first of them, and the most common, and the and the most well known above us, is alluded to in this text of Scripture, and I, I want to point it out. Paul said here, "I press towards the mark, not a mark, but the mark of the prize of the high call, of the high calling, a singular high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Now, knowing the apostle Paul and his apostleship and the great work that he had done and the many uh, epistles that he has written in the New Testament, one at first glance would think he's talking about his apostleship. That that would be the high calling. Uh, and uh, that would probably be the solution except that we look at verse 15 for, and he says, let us therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded. So whatever this high calling is, He obviously is not uh, making it exclusively to Himself. He is bringing in anyone else, uh, as many as be perfect. And the word perfect is not perfection in the sense that we might commonly think of it, but rather uh, the Greek word means to be mature or it has the sense of growing up uh, and developing as many. And, and, And it's just a kind of a general reference to the church community. As many as be perfect. Let us be thus minded. And so, what we find then about this high calling is my first important thing to God, and that is to be conformed to the image of His Son. And this is abundantly apparent in Scripture if we start searching the writings of Paul. We'll find out. Jesus, when He was incarnate, came into this world as the mortal man, came in with a twofold purpose. One was, of course, to die and bring redemption to the world. The second was to reveal the Father uh, to mankind, live a life exemplary. Philip said to Him one day, Jesus, show us the Father. He said, Philip, have I been with you this long? And you're saying to us, show us the Father. You've seen me? You've seen the Father. And, 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 and so His purpose was to show... The image of God was marred. Man was first in the garden, created in the image and likeness of God. But that image was marred. And Jesus came to model it, if you will, again. And Paul makes it abundantly uh, clear in uh, many of his writings in Romans 8 and 29. He says uh, of, uh, of, of that for whom he did foreknow, speaking about the church, that uh, uh, phraseology, did foreknow, is a reference to the, the, the uh, church as a body. He did predestine to be conformed to the image of His Son. He says something similar in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when He talks about we all with open face behold as in a glass. The word glass there is the modern uh, word for mirror. Behold as in a mirror our change into the same image uh, in other words, as we look in, at, in a mirror, and in so doing, we see the image of Christ in a mirror, and, and, and we try to, you know, when you look in a mirror, you're usually changing something about yourself. And we look in a mirror and we see Jesus in the mirror, and so we change those things about ourselves so that we look like Him. Paul says it again in Galatians 4 and verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until the image of Christ be formed in you. In other words, I've given birth to you once. You ladies are glad that you don't have to do this twice. Uh, But Paul said, "I've, I've birthed you once. And obviously, the purpose of that birth was that the image of Christ would be formed in you, but you, Galatian church, haven't fulfilled what you were birthed to do. So, my children, I'm travailing in birth over you a second time until the image of Christ be formed in you. And he says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, this is a pretty powerful statement. Uh, to the Corinthian church. He says to you the church, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. We kind of shun that, don't we? Uh you know, we think, well, you know, I'm not perfect and you know I gotta sin a little bit every day. And uh, you know, God understands and no, your call is not to stumble around and and be flawed. Your call When you were born again and born into the family of God to be a Christian, you were called to be a saint. And this is a powerful mandate. And the number one priority of God in your life is to mirror the image of God as exemplified in the person of Christ uh, in, in this life that we are living. And I would say to you this morning, don't frustrate the grace of God in performing that. Paul says in Galatians 2 and 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Now I know the dynamic was there uh, differently that Paul was speaking of in that particular uh, verse. But the idea that one can frustrate God's grace uh, caught my attention there. I think we often hide our lack of effort to image uh, the, the, the person of Christ uh, behind the grace of God. The grace of God is a wonderful thing. I, I'm glad the grace of God is there. Anyone that knows me and my background and my past knows that if it were not for the grace of God to cover my failings and to be there and my stumblings, I, uh, I, I don't know where I would be today. And, I, and I'm still there. I still make mistakes. I still fall Uh, At times, and I have to depend upon the grace of God, but it is not a practice. The grace of God is a safety net, it's necessary. You know, someone that's on a a high wire or in a dangerous occupation, a window washer, they have a, a safety net underneath them, but the grace of God is a safety net, it's not a trampoline. It's not something that I get out every day and say, oh, well, I've got to sin a little bit every day, so I'm going to go jump on the trampoline and, and, and play a- around. I think sometimes in the modern church, we've just kind of conceded that I've got God's grace, so I'm just going to go ahead and sin. No, God's called you to set out to mirror and image. His Son, if there's anything the world needs today... It is the image of Christ being exemplified to them. That's first and foremost what is going to draw them. I'm, I'm in a business. Uh, and I, you know, everybody does things differently, but I do not like to overtly lay out there that I'm a Christian. If I cannot get them to see something in me that's different about me, that appeals to them, I, I, I rarely. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think my testimony is going to do much good to them. If the Holy Spirit leads me, and I see an opening, I will. I, I did in, in this past week. I, I was helping a young man. I knew he was a former addict, had been through treatment, and I, I bent over backwards to get him a, a job, and and, and I, I worked with him. And when it came to the end, the door opened, and I said a little something to him uh, about the Lord, and. Very soon he came to me uh, a few hours later and he said, Where do you go to church? I, I'd like to come and visit your church. And when he, because I had treated him in a Christ like manner, And and he had seen something in my life, and I'm not trying to set myself up as some great example. The point I'm saying is that the church, the world will notice if you model Christ. And many times, and in this situation, there was a lot of difficult things that that I had to do that the average person, it kind of was aggravating. And it's in those difficult circumstances that we're going to be able to model Christ. It's not going to be, you know, everybody can do something nice to the nice guy and to the likable. It's in those complex things that we're going to have to model Christ. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly it's the grace of god that teaches us that we should live godly it's in this text here that we read to you this morning let us uh, therefore as many as be perfect be thus like-minded matthew 5 and 48 jesus said be ye perfect as your father which is in heaven yes thank you lord for your grace but the challenge of God and the first and foremost priority of God is for you to live an exemplary life of, uh, uh, of Christ. Embrace the process of conformity. It's not a pleasant one. It's a struggle because we all have human weaknesses. Paul said it in one place that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We live in a fallen world where everything about us is contrary to it. it was to Jesus as well. Adversity and hardship are often necessary components in Christ's likeness. If God has a choice between conforming you to His Son and bringing you comfort, He'll bring those adverse circumstances that will mold you and shape you before He'll bring you comfort. But we want the comfort. We pursue the comfort. If He has a choice between bringing purity in your life or bringing you prosperity, He'll bring purity every time. Sometimes the financial struggles we're going through is because He can't trust you with the prosperity, and He's trying to build purity in your life. God is by no means unconcerned about your well-being. He's not unconcerned about your comfort. He's not unconcerned about your prosperity. He's just concerned about developing developing the image of His Son in your life. And for that reason, that is His priority. Second of all this morning, God is greatly concerned. His second number two priority is to fulfill our commission in the kingdom. We have to understand that God has given you a specific package And by package, I mean a personality, a mindset, a skill set, looks, ability, you, to accomplish specific purposes at specific places and at specific periods in his kingdom. And I'm just going to leave that and not develop it. That's just understood. And and understand also that most likely you are positioned right where God wants you to be. We're always trying to seek a place in the kingdom God's probably got you or He's repositioned you. God's kind of like Surrey. You know, you're going along and you make a wrong turn. And it'll say, you know, recalculating. And and just in a second, it's got you directed to going where you need to go from your new uh, position. The focus then becomes getting us to accept and fulfill our commission. Got a boy in the Army, been in about 17 years. Had one in the Navy and the Air Force at one time. Took me a long time to understand the difference between a commissioned officer and a non-commissioned officer. The commissioned officer has been given the commission by the President of the United States. Now, they don't do it personally, but their commission will always come from the President. A non-commissioned officer earned his rank. He started out as a private, or private first class, or something like that, and he worked his way up. Non-commissioned officer, you have to have four years of college or go to some kind of a military academy and upon completion of that, they are immediately given a commission. But they are not necessarily immediately given a task or an assignment with it. They'll graduate from one of the military academies. They will be given their rank, that gives them authority goes right along with their being an officer, but where they're gonna serve and what they're gonna do, they may not know for a few months or a year or more, but they have the authority of that rank. They are now a second lieutenant, and they can go to the highest non-commissioned officer. They can go to a command sergeant major, and when they step up to him, that command sergeant major will salute them and recognize that he is a higher rank. We're in the kingdom of God, and as such, we have been issued a commission. Now, don't turn me off when I give you this scripture. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm going to show you something about the great commission that you've never noticed before. We have a commission to fill in the kingdom. And that's God's second priority. We often confuse the task of the Great Commission, with the commission of the Great Commission. Jesus says there in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus spake and said unto them, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Now whenever you see therefore in the Scripture, ask yourself what the therefore is there for. Because the therefore tells you that there's something that's preceded it that have significance. Now what Jesus is saying is this. I'm giving you a commission based on what preceded this therefore. All power is given to me. And that is the basis upon which I am commissioning you to do something. That is the commission. The task is teach all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and presumably to teach them about my person who I am, that I came to bring redemption, because that's followed with baptizing, which was the sign of endorsement of what someone taught. The Christians were not the only one who baptized. If you believed in the teaching of Socrates or Plato, and you studied and endorsed his teaching, you would baptize to his teaching in those in the New Testament times and and and. and, and ancient times. Baptism was a sign of endorsing the teachings of a particular person, John the Baptist. If you believe what John the Baptist taught, before Jesus came along, you were baptized to John the Baptist's teaching. That's what what you did. And so, go and, and, and teach all nations. And so what Jesus is saying is, I am giving you authority. I'm giving you, because all authority is given to me, now I am Commissioning you as an officer in the army of God and in the kingdom. And I want you to go forth with the commission. And I want you to take that commission. And that commission is going to have some tasks, actually multiple tasks with it, starting with teaching all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And kind of my pet peeve is, does anyone see a period at the end of Holy Ghost there? It's not on the screen, the wrong screen there. Put that Scripture back up there. Verse number 19. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, comma. We stopped the Great Commission right there, and I can't develop that right there. That's only half the Great Commission. Verse 20. What's the rest of the Great Commission? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I I have commanded. That's just a little side. That's like my wife saying, listen, I'm going to be gone for a month. The grandkids might come by. I want you to go to the store and get a gallon of milk and put it in the refrigerator. And she comes home in a month, and I got a gallon of milk, and it's still in the car. And it's stinking. And she said, why didn't you do what I told you to do? I said, I did. I went to the store and got a gallon of milk, like you said. Well, you didn't do the last half of it. You know, you're supposed to put it in the refrigerator. Well, you know, I, I did what you said. No, you know, going and teaching them about Jesus and baptizing them is only half of the Great Commission. The other half of the Great Commission is leading them to maturity. And that's the big problem in the church age today. It's why we're not affecting our culture and our world is because we're bringing them to Jesus and baptizing them by the thousands, but we're not teaching them the fullness of all of His teachings and doctrines and that's why the church is as full of problems as the world. Because it understands so little about Jesus. But that's a side note. That's a bunny trail. It's free. Anyway, we've got to fulfill our commission. What our commission is is the authority that God's given us. And whatever it takes, to accomplish all of the things that are fulfilled in that commission. Everything I need, all authority is given to me. I am a ranking officer in the kingdom of God to do everything that is necessary to fulfill Going and telling people about Jesus and leading them to full maturity. My specific tasks may vary. Your specific tasks may vary. And they they may be multiple, but everything that I need to do, I have authority from the president of the kingdom. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. No higher authority. And my authority ranks higher than any authority in the other camp. Satan's authority doesn't even rank up there. Satan is not even a god. Do you realize that? He is, a, he is a created being. If God wanted to tomorrow, God could say, you know what? Now God can't do it because it doesn't fit into His plan. But in terms of the power to do so, God tomorrow could say, I'm tired of messing with you, Satan. Poof. And, and just make Satan and all of his angels disappear off out of the universe. Satan doesn't, Conversely, Satan doesn't have the power to do that. Satan could not annihilate God and do away. Because Satan is not a god. He is an angel. God is the only God. God just kind of tolerates Satan because it's a part of His ongoing plan for all of humanity. And God has has placed all power in the hands of Jesus. That's why Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Ephesians 2 and 6 Paul said of us, the church, that He has raised us up and made us to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And where is Christ Jesus sitting? Ephesians 1, verse 20 and 21. Which He wrought in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality power, might, dominion. Everything is named, not only in this world, in the world to come. And notice the, 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 the picture that's given. Jesus is sitting, and we are sitting beside him. Now, commissioned officers, commissioned by the President of the United States, very few of them have ever met the President personally. <laughs> I don't know what rank we have. I don't know what the spiritual ranks are. You know, you've got might and power and dominion. And, you know, I don't know half the ranks. And I, I know most of the ranks in the military, but I don't understand a division and a company and a, and, and, and a squad and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, much as I've been around. I, but I do know that I'm seated in heavenly places right beside Christ Jesus. And as far as I know, He's the highest guy up there. Uh, you know, right beside the Father. And you know something? The army understands rank. If there's anything they understand, they. I remember mean, being in a room one time, 100, 150 people, most of them were seated, multiple entries in that room, and they were chattering, talking, and everybody, and I'm sitting there talking, I think, to my son, and my wife was there, and, and we were talking, and, you know, and all at once, boom, everybody stood to their feet and saluted. I mean, half of them were looking one direction and sitting at tables, and half of them were looking at another, and I mean, literally, in, in, in two or three second times, everybody in that room was to their feet, And saluting until I heard someone, you know, continue on or at ease or they said something and everybody sat back down. I mean, I was in the middle of a sentence still looking across. the. I didn't have a clue what was going on. But the command sergeant major walked into that room from some door. I don't even know how they saw him or had a clue that he was coming in. They didn't have a clue he was coming in. But they knew that rank had entered that room. And they were on their feet. Honoring that rank. Now, let me tell you something. That Sergeant Major may have been the sorriest guy you ever met. He may have abused his wife, not physically because he'd get in trouble for that, but he may have been rude and unkind and obnoxious. He may have a sorry personality. He may be greedy. Everything else. But you know what? They respect that rank. You know what? The devil doesn't have a clue what you're struggling with. That's between you and God. And you keep working on it. You keep fighting your individual battles. You keep working to overcome it. That's between you and the Lord. All the devil knows is that you're an officer in the army of God that has authority. <laughs> and when problems and adversity comes the devil will try to bring up anything in your life and he knows he does know because he sees especially if you let him think it's bothering you don't do it when he comes just say i take authority over this situation i bind you in the name of jesus i'm an officer in the army of god I'm seated. You know who's seated in the army? It's usually the generals, the guys at the top. It's the rest of them, the majors and the captains that are scurrying around. My boy in his first two tours in Iraq, he drove. He was assigned to be with me. The captain gets an assigned driver that just kind of his personal assistant goes with him everywhere. Can I tell you a funny story? Sure, I knew you was gonna say yes. You'll like this. There's not time to, but I'm going to anyway. This first tour in Iraq, he was assigned to be a captain's driver, but he wanted to, do his MOS, his, his job description was to be uh, driving heavy equipment, and he just hated it. He wanted to be driving heavy equipment. So he finally got it arranged to drive heavy equipment in his second tour in Iraq. And in his second tour, he got it all set to go, and we went down to Fort Hood. They're having a family day, and we, you get to meet everybody, and and shake hands and he finally got transferred back to the motor pool where he can drive heavy equipment he's all excited about driving heavy equipment because he hated driving the captain on the first tour over there in Iraq and had it all set up so we're out for the family day the picnic they're playing softball they're doing this and that and he takes me over and he introduces me to the captain and uh so he says dad this is captain so and so and this is my dad. And this is totally unlike me. I don't know why I did that to this day. I don't know why. And there may be a providential purpose or whatever. So asked Captain so-and-so. And I shook his hand. I said, Captain, you're going to have the safest company in all of Iraq. And he said, oh, why is that, sir? I said, because I'm going to be praying for you. And I'm a praying man. He said, OK, thank you. And I finished the day and I went home. Next day, my son called me, thanks, dad. I said, thanks for what? Well, the captain went on vacation with his family the next day. The motor pool was short staffed and they had just exactly the number of men they wanted. Motor pool got an email from the captain and said, I do not want a rebuttal for this email. I recognize your staff situation. I want Sergeant Yates immediately assigned to be my driver. (laughs) I do not want a response or any argument. And he was assigned to be the captain's driver, so he was the captain's driver on the second tour uh, in Iraq. (laughs) He was not a Christian, was not a godly man, but somewhere in his background, he understood the power of prayer. And he thought, if he's going to be praying for him, I want to be right beside him. And you understand sometimes, not only the devil, but sometimes the world understands the authority and the power of prayer. Uh, 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 commission. I, I got a uh, hurry. The second most important thing is for God, for you to understand, not carrying out the tasks. The tasks are important. We need to carry out the tasks. The task will fall in place. The task will be done if you will understand your authority. If you'll understand your commission, the authority that you have as a believer in the kingdom and operate in that spiritual fear, then the task will become clear. The task will become the frustration you won't beat your head against the wall wondering what should be done. They won't always turn out like you think. Because... Because we're operating under the sovereignty of God and kingdom values. Let me give you two quick illustrations and then we're going to move on. One from Scripture, one from modern times. Did you ever give much pause to John the Baptist? Greatest man, born of woman. Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, 4, 5, somewhere in there, Jesus John's in prison, sends somebody to Jesus, says, Jesus, what's are you the guy or should should I be looking for somebody else? Jesus said, go back to John the Baptist and tell him, listen, blind eyes are open, the deaf are healed, the dumb are speaking, people are being raised from the dead, the poor have the gospel preached to them, he's quoting, you know, you're Elijah that that was talked about, He's quoting Isaiah 61, I believe. He doesn't mention, interestingly enough, Isaiah 61 says that people are let out of prison. John's writing from prison. Jesus doesn't deliver him from prison. Just sends word back to prison and leaves him in prison. Having said he's the greatest man that was ever born of a woman. Why didn't he send somebody and let him out of prison and make John the Baptist one of his disciples and move... I know my mind is just weird. you guys never think of these things. But I think about those things. Brennan, I think about why those busts happened to us. And I'll have more to say about it in the third one here. I'll give you some answers, not just some questions. It seems to me like in the kingdom of God, but somehow John the Baptist had a purpose. He had a commission. And as a commissioned officer, he had a spiritual purpose. He was to be the forerunner of Christ. And sometimes in the kingdom, we can be great in one church, and what we do in the next church, we can be the janitor. And we have to accept whatever place and position God wants us to be serving. Our tasks may be unique and different, but we're still doing it. John served in that prison as an officer in the army of the Lord. A high-ranking officer and I'm not sure eternity alone is going to get me to understand all of that. But he still served in spiritual authority accomplishing the purposes of God. Never wavered. Even when his head was put on the platter by Herodias. And number three, the third thing God wants you to do is to embrace our eternal Purposes. You need to live your life in the light of eternity. Years ago, there was a preacher who used to travel around. I had a big old huge chart go across half the front of this sanctuary and it was a eschatological chart. Isn't that a big word? Do you like that? Are you impressed? <clears throat> I can hardly say it. Uh, <laughs> eschatology is the study of end times events if you go to a Bible school. And, and it, it, it's the sequential... Uh, timetable of what happens uh, in the Bible, you know. And and he would go through and he would teach. But his theme, his motto was living your life now in the light of eternity. And I always thought that was a a, a wonderful little phrase. But that's what we all should be doing. And that's what God, we, we have such a a narrow perspective on life. We get up and we make decisions usually thinking about the day or the week or the month. Rarely do we even think of our whole life, much less do we think about the eternal perspective of the decisions that we are making. But we must learn to live our life in light of eternity because it is a continuum. It doesn't, it doesn't stop and then restart in eternity all over again and and continue on. We are in kindergarten for eternity. What you're learning now is, is going to continue on. Live your life now in eternity. As believers, we rarely contemplate the what in eternity. We think about the where and we've satisfied that. We take great consolation in knowing that I'm, my eternal destination is secure. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus. And it's never more comforting at a funeral. I don't, know what, I, don't, I don't want my family to have to go through the horror of wondering whether I was right with God when I die and where I'm spending eternity. I've been to funerals where there was a big question. The elephant in the room was were they really right with God or not? I don't, I don't want my family... I don't know what others do. I want my family to know that man died right with his Maker. And wherever he's at, he's in the presence with God. And as Christians, as believers, we we think a lot about where we're going to be spending eternity, but do you ever contemplate about what you're going to be doing in eternity? Interesting thought. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. But as written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them of him. We usually narrowly interpret that. The things as being the physical dimension. The streets of gold. The walls and the gates of heaven. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, God placed man, built, uh, created man in the first place, and put him in the Garden of Eden. Yes, but He gave him things to do. He was to tend that garden. He wasn't just going to sit there and twiddle his thumbs. He put him with a. He he was going to give birth to children, and there, there was going to be an economy, as though it were in that garden. He had to eat. I don't know if there were outhouses in the garden or not, but I mean, the animals, they had natural systems and, you know, I I mean, there were things to do. They had to clean out the barns or they had to do something. You know what I'm saying? You know, forgive me for being so simple there, but I mean, there was a natural dimension that man carried out, I mean. So in eternity, the natural dimension may be somewhat gone, but still there's going to be an economy. There's going to be things that are going on. We're not going to sit around on clouds playing harps. What are we going to be doing in eternity? Do you ever think about it? 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Do you not know what the say, that the saints shall judge the world? Well, I know that at least the saints is a reference to the church here. And depending on your view of the rapture, most believe that it's going to be the raptured church during the millennial. And I've heard recently that there are a group of theologians that believe the 1,000 year millennium may end up being 10,000 years because they are going to have to be some Senate hearings to confirm the judges. Anyway, know you not that the saints are going to judge the world? So during the millennial reign, the saints... I don't know if it's going to be all of them or what. And the word judge may not just be narrowly, you know, to pass judgment like in a court of law in the Old Testament during the reign of the judges, they not only judged matters, but basically they were the the overseers, the rulers, the 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 um magistrates if you would that that kind of guided the, the, the communities that ruled over them. More like a county commissioner maybe in seeing how matters would be ran. And then he goes on there. It's quite interesting. In verse number 3, Know ye not that we, the church, shall judge angels? Paul, give me a little more to operate on here. Are we going to judge the fallen angels? Or are we going to judge the righteous angels? Wow. We know that we the Christians are going to be judged according to our works. Are the righteous angels going to be judged by their performance? Do they have they have free will? Satan had free will, he fell. Hmm. Interesting. Is that going to be one time or all? the point I'm trying to make is we just see whispers here and there through scripture, but one thing is readily apparent we're not going to sit around and do nothing in eternity. God's got a plan, he has an economy, he had a plan for mankind when he put him in the garden. he had something for him to do his spell his his, his sin, his fall dropped him into this era that we we're in now, in fact, the reason the Bible doesn't tell us more about a lot of this is because the Bible is intended to be one thing, the story of the fall and redemption of man. It doesn't go beyond that scope very much. There's little hints and whispers here and there. The Bible is not a history book. It has a lot of history in it, but it's not designed to be a history book. That's why at least the Bible is not a science book. It has a lot of scientific truth in it. But it's why it doesn't tell us a whole lot about science. It's not an economic book. It has a lot of economic truths in it. But it, it doesn't give us a lot in that matter. Because it's one thing. It's the story of the fall. It starts with the fall. Wouldn't it be nice if it told us how many million years the old earth it was and answered a lot of those questions and had a whole lot of Truth about the dinosaurs and you know, all those questions, it, it just begs, because it has nothing to do with the fall and redemption of man. how old the Earth is and how the dinosaurs died and all of that doesn't have one iota to do with whether man is fallen, or how man is going to be redeemed. This is the story of the fall and redemption of man. Nothing more, nothing less. If it was pertinent, it would be in here. That's why we go to the Scripture to find answers to things many times that are not intended to be in there. It's the story of the fall and redemption of man. And what we're going to be specifically doing throughout all of eternity, we don't know because it has nothing to do with the fall and redemption of man. But we do know that once He is redeemed, He's going to be doing something throughout all of the eons of eternity. And that this life we're currently in is just one drop of sand on a beach of millions of of pieces of sand compared to eternity. And what we are doing here and now is preparing us. It is a continuum. And what we're learning here and now, the package God gave you that I referred to earlier, God gave you specifically for what He has mapped out and planned for you to do in eternity. I disagree a little bit with Abraham Lincoln. All men are not created equally. You can look at me and tell that. Some guys are handsome. Some people are really smart. Some people are athletic. You ever see me run? You don't want to. Some folks can sing. I've been trying to get on the praise team ever since I came here. I I work with Sean and I can't even get an audition. (coughs) The only way that men are equal is that they are equal in their ability to use their talents 100%. And God will judge them accordingly. God gave you a package and if you'll use it to the best of your ability... God will give you a 100% reward because He gave you the package He wanted you to have for what He wants you to do in eternity. And you're preparing for it right now. Our eternal assignment has already begun. It doesn't start after the resurrection. It starts right now. Jesus, our high priest, you know how He can sympathize with what you did? But the sorrows and so forth that, that you're going through. Hebrews 4.14 We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the healings of our infirmities with all points, tempted like we are yet without sin. Because when He was here in this life, He went through that. He prepared here for what He's doing up there. And what you're going through right now, being it adverse or difficult, our eternal, Preparation has begun now. Both good and bad. The difficulties, hardships, suffering, trials may very well be eternal. Why didn't God deliver me from that? Why did those young people pass away in that accident today? Is God preparing those families for something that they're going to be facing in eternity? Is God preparing them to be able to be compassionate with someone else in this life that they May meet. Who knows what the economy of God is doing? We don't. In his sovereignty, he plans and repairs. Our eternal investment may very well and has begun right now. Those families made an eternal investment. There is no more perplexing question in all of Christianity than the problem of pain. The skeptics hold it in our face all the time. Larry King, for those of you he has gone now, you older folks, used to bring it up on his radio show all the time. I wanted to call him and answer it. But what about all the pain and suffering in the world? What about all the pain and the suffering in the world? And it's even more perplexing when it's our own. What about all pain and suffering? C.S. Lewis, the most quoted theologian of all times, and probably one of the most brilliant, has a book by that very title, The Problem of Pain. And someone said to him one day, C.S. Lewis, how can a God of love allow His own people to go through pain and suffering. And C.S. Lewis said to him, how can a God of love not allow His own people to go through pain and suffering? If in so doing they can gain a greater weight of glory paul said it second corinthians four seventeen and 18 for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory You know what these families are going through this morning, Brother Brandon? They're going through something that is working for them a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I'm sure it doesn't feel like a light affliction to them this morning because they're human. But what is happening is there is a much more exceeding. And you think about the man that wrote this, He says, for our light affliction. This is a man that was beaten five times by the Jews, 39 stripes, beaten three times with rods, was stoned to death and left for dead, was imprisoned depending on, we don't know exactly, but around six and a half years of his life, was shipwrecked three times, left in the ocean to float for a day and a half, and on and on was left naked or basically didn't have adequate clothing, was left in the cl- uh, cold, was robbed, on and on the list could go, and probably one of the greatest men of faith in all of the New Testament. What was wrong with him? Was it his didn't understand the truth of positive confession? Somebody should have got to him with that truth. He wrote half of the New Testament. It wasn't that he didn't understand how to make a positive confession. Did he have not have faith? He raised people from the dead. Probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest man of faith in all of the entire New Testament. You need to recheck your theology against the Word of God. He said he was in need. Did he not understand the concept of seed faith? He wrote most of the New Testament. No. No. Somebody's theology is wrong. They need to get back to the Word of God. In the economy of God, in the understanding of God, sometimes God just has plans and purposes like John the Baptist in prison that we just don't understand. Jesus Himself. comes and visits the disciples just before He ascended into heaven and He meets Peter. And what does He say? Peter, you love me more than these? Oh yeah, you know I do, Lord. Well, feed my sheep. Feed my lamb. And what's the last recorded thing that Jesus says to Peter? Peter, when you were young, you just scurried about like any way you wanted to. But when you're old, they're going to bind your hands and feet and take you where you don't want to go. And the scripture said, Jesus told him how he's going to die. What? That's the last thing Jesus is telling the great disciple, Peter? That doesn't sound like much of a positive confession to me. Somehow, in the providence of God, It was His will and purpose. Jesus Himself there, the man that raised the dead and did everything, all those great wonderful works, the last thing He says to Him is, Peter, you're going to die a martyr's death. And I don't care how much Peter prayed or did anything else. There was no way around it. All the disciples save John died a martyr's death. That they might receive a far more exceeding An eternal weight of glory so that in the eternal times, the reward might be much greater. You see, God's having to work in this fallen world that you and I in Adam sinned and caused. It's not His first choice. But we cannot reverse the fallen world. That's our fault, not God's. And now in this fallen world that God is operating in, He's having to work with it. The man born blind, who sinned, this man or his father? He said, Neither, but that the works of God be might manifest. 40 years old. Stumbled around as a child, raised up 40 years blind. Making you think, aren't I? I can tell by looking on your face now, I can see the wheels turning. 40 years old. What he's saying is, in the providence of God, I'm going to let this guy be blind for 40 years so that Jesus can come along one day and say, Receive your sight. For the glory of God, I have a divine purpose in it that's greater than the purposes of man. Now, right now in heaven, can you go with me? Jesus in this blind manner, sitting down. And Jesus is looking over at the blind man and says, I Tell you what, got a deal. We can go back in time. And I'll give you your sight for 40 years. But you see that glory and that elevated position that I gave you in exchange for those 40 years of blindness that you served on earth. And that elevated position is going to last through all of eternity. Or, you can go ahead and serve that 40 years of blindness. And you can take a lower position of glory for all of eternity. Which of those do you choose? That blind man would look at Jesus and say, you think I'm a fool? Those light afflictions, those few years of adversity, that trial that I had to go through, John would say, "Those few years in prison and getting my head cut off." Paul would say, "You think those six and a half years imprisonment and those few years that see Paul knew exactly what he was talking about, you know, getting beat a few times and having a few shipwrecks. These light afflictions are—they're not even worthy to be compared." What I'm going through, not—it's not even worthy to make a comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed. All I'm saying to you, church, I'm—I'm I'm not trying to sound like it's. A, I mean, most of us Christians here in America, we live a wonderful Christian life, and God is very. All I'm saying is, there's a good part of the world that what I'm describing for you is a reality of what they live every single day. Go over in these Muslim countries, we're just naming the name of Jesus will get you sold into a sex slave and, 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 and raped, and I was listening to a broadcast this last week, and I just wanted to weep of the, how the Christian just being a Christian, the minute they find out you 're a Christian, they come and, and, and rage you and take your little 12 year old girl that they had taken and, and, and what they had done with her because she her family I think just was a Christian. And it's happened How do you make sense of that unless you understand the truth that I have just shared with you? How do you understand these children being taken that are Christians? Under the service of the Lord, we live in a fallen world, but everything that happens in here in adversity to those of us who know the Lord, there is a far greater and exceeding weight of glory that waits them that will far outweigh in all of eternity, not a few short years, but in all of eternity, anything that you could ever face. For or or go through. Some people spend their life caring for someone who is adversely affected in God and His wisdom. Choose not to heal them. I don't know why. But I do know that there is a reckoning day on the other side that will make it far more worthy. That's why I have to live my life here in the light of eternity. Not in the light of material, carnal things. I'm closing. We need to take an honest inventory of our priorities. Our constant pursuit is for comfort, favor, recreation, prosperity, acceptance, renown. And I, with myself, it's just the everyday pursuit of life that consumes me and I've been praying lately, God, help me Lord to get out of this burden that I'm under so I can spend more time in in kingdom purposes so I can exercise my office and get at the task for the Lord. I want to move into full retirement where I can just devote myself continuously to the, to the work and the kingdom of God. Jesus at age 12 stayed behind in the temple. You know that story. When his mother, I'm sure a little bit upset with him, came to him and said, what are you doing? He said, I need to be about my father's business. I'm going to start operating, Mom, on a different set of priorities. Where are you at today? What is important to God will not seem important to those around you. It may not even seem important to the modern church today. The modern church has its priorities so mixed up. But it'll be important to God and it'll make a difference to you. And Christ's point needs to operate under a different set of priorities. God has this special purpose for this church. And we don't even understand it because I'm not sure we're on the same set of priorities (laughs) that that we need to be. Our pastor understands it. Our pastor's trying to. uh, But we need to understand the commission the Lord has given. Start operating on that spiritual dimension. God's going to do a work with us here. Get on board. Get on board with what's important in God. I've I'd, I'd not done a good job of trying to... communicate. This subject is so much broader than what I can share in just a few uh, moments this morning. Praise team, come please. All that really matters in your life is what is important to God. Everything else will fall in place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek that commission. And then Jesus said all of these other things. Will be added unto you. That last song we sang, surrendering to the Lord, just holding out hands. I forget all of the words of it. There, getting on, getting on God's page. We're too busy trying to get God involved in my problems, getting God involved in in, in my difficulties. Evaluate your priorities. You know the best way to do it? Listen to yourself pray. That's all. Just listen to yourself pray. What are you praying about? The Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give glory to God. Thy kingdom come. Get your commission. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Take inventory. Listen to yourself. Stand to your feet this morning.